0: Speed, once again, and he's, oh my
1: goodness, that is huge! It's a white flag for the Cuban. Hi everybody and warm, warm welcome to the very first episode of the Triple Jumpers podcast with me, Marcus Lombardi. Today I meet the 35-year-old Dutch triple jumper Fabian Florent. Fabian has the national record both indoors and outdoors, with 1669 and 1692. Moreover, he competed at the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio and he took 8th place at the 2013 European Indoor Championships. In this episode, we talk about his career from the youth years through college to senior years, and we go through the highs and the lows and talk about many interesting things, so prepare yourself. For an exciting episode with fabian florent warm welcome to the triple jumpers podcast fabian florent
0: thank you thank you it's an honor to be uh, on the triple jump uh, podcast so I'm, I'm happy to be there
1: and how does it feel to be the first guest ever in the podcast
0: uh, it feels good um, i'm really honored to uh, to have this opportunity and to be the first and you know i believe that triple jumpers uh, is moving in in the right in the right direction, and it's putting triple jump triple jumpers worldwide, worldwide on the map. So um, it's, it's actually an honor for me to be the first.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so so let's let's take it all from from the beginning. Uh, you were born in 1983 in Dominica, uh, where you also grew up and and got into track and field. Uh, when did you start training athletics?
0: Um, I believe I started training. Roughly when I was uh, well in in the Caribbean islands when you when you grow up uh, you always do sports anyway so and athletics is pretty big there athletics and football yeah. and I've I've always been running I think when I was about uh, maybe five or six years old I, I was already in in involved in some small um, sports games and everything but I really got serious in athletics um, in my youth so I would say right around 13 14 years old I joined um, the top um, athletic club. Uh, on my island, which is called Olympians after the club and from okay. there it just it just took took off, you know Never looked back.
1: Did you played on any, any other sports or was it just track and field?
0: No, I actually did football. I, I was actually football was my main focus at that point. I'd already made a few national youth football teams and um, at the same time I was doing um, track and field as well and then um I just kind of fell in love with, with track and field after my first, um, I would say, original medal, which is the Paralympic Games bronze medal in triple jump. That's when I really figured out that I, I liked uh, track and field a lot more.
1: Yeah, and and but was it was it only triple jump back then, or did you do other events as well?
0: Yeah, no, I actually did almost everything except hurdles. So and pole vault. So I did uh, hundred meters, two hundred, long triple high and the 400 and the 4x4 so um i was really a sprinter first uh my club was a really big sprinting club so um you know any afternoon that we trained we had like majority of the group of runners um just doing block starts and doing 200 repeats and different exercises like that um so i was really a sprinter first and then my coach uh introduced me to um the triple jump, and the first time I actually tried, I actually had the rhythm already, and I think that was the beginning of my my triple jump career. Uh, when I was roughly, I think I was 15, around 15 then.
1: And was it love at first sight in the in the triple jump?
0: Yeah, it, it was because I, I didn't really know anything about triple jump, but it, uh, in in the in the mid to late. 90s triple jump became very popular in the Caribbean because um, we had two bronze, we had a silver and a bronze medal at the World Championships in '95, when Jonathan Edwards broke the world record. Um, yeah. Brian Wilman from the Bermuda was second, and then my island friend um, Jerome Romain was was third with a bronze medal. Yeah. So you had two island Caribbean guys, um, and when I say Caribbean, I'm talking about non-Cuban-based athletes. You had two yeah. Caribbean guys that actually um, medal at the World Championships, so it was really popular. I used to see. Uh, Jerome Romain on the postcards and the stamps and stuff, so it was getting really popular, so um, it was something that I really started to enjoy doing, and on the first try, I actually got the the, the triple jump after my coach just explained to me, you know, hop on one leg, switch to the other leg and just jump, and my whole club was there to witness it. And on, my, on my first very attempt, I actually got the jump down, and that was the same year of the Karifta Games.
1: Yeah, because uh, for a lot of people, it's it's a bit hard to to make it the full triple jump in the first attempt.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, I think one of the contributing factors towards that is just, you know, being athletic on the islands. You know, we, we don't play that much video games. We, we're always outside swimming, jumping, playing different sports. So I think I had the athletic ability. I just didn't know anything about triple jump or, or how to actually do it. But once I tried it, um, and my coach, he actually, we didn't even have a, a real... Um, triple jump board. He just put a piece of board on the on the runway, and he said, "Okay, I want you to just hop on one leg, switch to the other one, and just jump." And I, I, I nailed it down, and then it just became something that I was very interested in trying every day until I, I, I mastered it. You know.
1: And was was this the same year as you you took the bronze medal at the the Karifta Games?
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, it was leading up to the same year. So I believe that was the entering the year so that was sort of like december january january oh, around okay. that time yeah. um yeah. Or a little bit earlier and um, then um well the Krifter games is in april so yeah. um it was a basically let's say four or five months before the krista games that i tried it and i just kept on improving i did some school competitions and every time i jumped i improved by you know 20 centimeters you know around that and then I went to the Caribbean Youth Championships on the 17 at that time. I really didn't know what to expect. It was my first time, but I knew that I would be successful in athletics when I got onto the runway to jump and I didn't have any stage fright. I wasn't nervous. I just thought as it was a mission that I wanted to accomplish and I just went out there and I jumped and I got a bronze medal. So That was a pretty amazing thing for me to, to never have done an event in my life and just within a few months go to the the biggest Caribbean Youth Championships, and then uh, Junior Championships, and then actually win a medal. Um, that was a really great accomplishment for me.
1: So you could say it, it, it was you had a lot of talent.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, that's something that I'm, I'm still struggling with today. I mean, a lot of people say that I'm talented. I believe I have some talent, but I just think that I'm a hard worker. Mm-hmm. Um, because even when I played football as well, I you know we trained every day after school for hours and. Making the national team was just a brutal training experience, but I I would say I I, I work really hard with a little bit of talent.
1: So so you make make the national team in the football as well?
0: Yeah yeah actually yeah. my senior year so I, I did career the games two more times on a senior level, and mm-hmm. uh, my last year in high school I made the World Junior Championships in Jamaica in 2002 and I also made the World Cup under 20. Um, tournament for football. So I made these two national, the two biggest um, events in in the respective sports at my senior year in high school. I I had to choose between football and athletics for university. And uh, I I decided to go with athletics instead.
1: Oh, that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, If we we talk about the the World Junior Championships, uh, it was in 2002. Uh, You were there running the hundred. Uh, Yeah. Did you ever consider to to be a sprinter uh, instead of becoming a triple jumper?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I did more sprinting because there was always more sprinting track meets and stuff in the islands and, um, uh, you know, I qualified for the World Junior Championships um, and I still believe that I have the junior record in my island for 10.55. That's what I did as a junior. Mm and up to that point, I, I really considered sprinting, but the passion for jumping is way different from, from sprinting for me because I see so many sprinters all over the world that's running really fast, but when it comes to triple jump, I always find myself in a situation where I could be more competitive or I could be more recognizable with that event. So for sprinting, I saw myself as a sprinter, but with the passion, I was I more saw myself as possibly a, a, a triple jumper. It's only when I went to college and I saw with the 10.55, um, 100 meter personal record I had, I was like number six on my, my team. So I said, well, t- I'll just have to focus on triple jump, you know.
1: Yeah, because uh, you, you went to, to college in, in the in the U.S., uh, yeah. to Lindenwood first.
0: Yeah, first I went to Lindenwood. Um, when I got to the team, there was a lot of Caribbean guys there from the Bahamas, Cayman, um, Cayman Islands, from... Uh, you know st kitts and nevis jamaica basically all the yeah. top criteria or junior level world junior level um caliber athletes were, were on my team and um yeah like i said it was tough i mean even i came into the team and i i said okay maybe i'll just sprint and do triple jump on the side but it ended up being opposite where i end up doing triple jump full-time because when it comes on to conference championships and nationals where everybody have to individual individually show their talent Triple jump is where I always medal, and triple jump is always where I maximize my points. So as time progressed, I kind of shifted away from sprinting and focused more on jumping because I had more positive results with the jumps. And um, I left Lindewood with um, – I was two-time national champion there, and I was four-time All-American, NAIA, but now it's a Division Two school. And then I moved to Division One at uh, Missouri State University, and there I was two-time um, – NCAA All-American and um, Yeah, that was basically my my career in college in the US
1: Yeah, and When you when you moved from Lindenwood to Missouri uh, yeah. You in, in that first year uh, at Missouri you you improved your personal best with 75 centimeters to 16.15 yeah. yeah. um, Was there any differences in, in the training or, or what led up to this improvement?
0: Multiple different factors. I mean, if you if you want to um, if you want to succeed within the U.S. Um, university system, there's a few things you need to have. One, you either need to have a really good coach that knows triple jump, and that's really really hard to find. Or, or two, you need to have a really good jumping group. And uh, what I liked about Missouri State, although it wasn't. Um, the, one of the biggest universities in the U.S., it was still Division One, and my coach at that time was still actively jumping for the Bahamas, um, Fritz Spence, which is also the, the jumps coach right now at Penn State University. So that attracted me. So t- a few things that, that actually helped me, the coach was actually a jumper. Two, he mm-hmm. had some good jumpers there at the university. And three, it was a big program. So if you want to jump far, you have to go to a university that has a big program in your respective event, not only that it's a big university, but they actually know your event and that they can help you succeed. So that's why I improved tremendously. When I actually went to Missouri State, we started doing more triple jump specific training and actually my coach jumped with me in practice. So that really motivated me and pushed me. So we had a really good jumping group and a coach that actually knew something about triple jump. So that was the main contributing factor towards my improvement.
1: And then. After you, you graduated in, in 2006, you, you got your Bachelor in Finance and Banking. Uh, then you continued your, your study at, at the Missouri University, uh, taking a Master's degree. Um, how did you had time to combine your studies with, with Track and Field?
0: Uh, it, it, was, it was one of the most difficult and challenging times, I, I think, in my life, but it's all about um, time management. That's what I did pretty well. Um, you know, I, I remember for the two years that I did my masters, I never even knew what was going on in the world because I never looked at the TV because I didn't have enough time. I was a part-time banker. Well, actually, I was a full-time banker. Sorry, and then I was a full-time grad student, and I was also also a full-time athlete. So my days were pretty long, from seven a.m. till ten p.m. And I, I only studied for two hours every evening before I went to bed at twelve. And I did that for two, two, uh, two, uh, two years straight. So that was really tough. Um, you know, I'd go to work, from work, take a lunch break, do my first training session, after work, do my second session, and then I would get home. Then I would, you know, cook dinner and then study it, uh, and, and then prepare my for the next day. So it, it was it was tough, but I had to manage everything and I had to be really disciplined um, in following my own schedule um, because that was the only way to be successful. But the hunger to succeed is what really got me to, to where I'm at today as well.
1: Yeah, and uh, what happened after you you graduated? Um, what did you do? Uh,
0: yeah, so after I graduated, I I had to you know I I got into the corporate environment full time, and I, I you know I sat down at my desk at, at Wells Fargo Bank, which is the bank I worked at, and I just looked at myself and I said to to myself, well, th- this is it, you know, I've already moved up the corporate ladder. I'm here, but I wasn't really satisfied. I knew in my heart that I could al- always do more in terms of athletics, in triple jump specifically, because I felt like I didn't really had the right atmosphere to succeed to the highest level, because as soon as I was All-American, my coach moved uh, to Penn State University, so I no longer really had a triple jump-specific coach, and it became a real struggle to train, so I, you know, I started looking for other opportunities, and I first wanted to move to uh, University of Oklahoma to to train there, because at that time Will Clay was there, there was an opportunity, but then I ended up meeting um. Uh, a Cuban coach when I made the decision to switch to represent um, the Netherlands because I'm I'm Dutch and my mom is Dutch. I'm I'm a born Dutch um, citizen. I I just spent most of my life in the U.S. and And at that point, I said to myself, well, you know, for me to embrace the culture a little bit more and for me to really see and experience Europe and Holland in general, then maybe I should just switch to just, you know, see how life is there and see if I could represent the Netherlands. So I... I search online and see what the Dutch records were, and I realized that my distance already was bigger than the Dutch record. And then I just made the switch. I just contacted the federation and tell them like, hey, you know, I'm Dutch. I'm here in the US university, and I'd like to, uh, um, I'd like to, to switch over to represent them. And that's what really made me make my decision. It's just curiosity of, of exploring the unknown. You know, what is what, what might happen if I would just switch and see what happens. So th- that's kind of where how I end up representing the Netherlands
1: and then you you started to train with uh, the Cuban coach uh...
0: yeah it was really it was really a weird situation but when i when I decided to make the switch um it was a big announcement in the in the dutch uh, media sports world at least that a dutch that a a dutch um, an english person um, that that already had the Dutch record in his distance was was switching to the Netherlands and you know there might be some some nice possibilities in triple jump because triple jump is actually was actually a very poor event in the in the netherlands i mean it was just an event that people were not willing to take on and there was not really a lot of coaches there but when i did my first national championships there was a lot of people that actually came to see me jump and including that the group of people was a cuban coach that was actually living in the netherlands for many years already and um, we spoke for a little bit. And when he told me he was Cuban, I, I couldn't believe it because I thought, if I don't go to Cuba or you don't go to Cuba, you might never have a Cuban trainer, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when I, when, I, when I saw a Cuban coach in Holland, I was like, huh? So we spoke a little bit. And I told him that I was in transition of looking for a coach. And we just connected right away. And then I was just really blessed to have that opportunity because I learned so much from for this guy. And uh, I took him back to the U.S. with me. And uh, that's when we started really increasing from low sixteens to mid sixteens and high sixteens, and uh, and it was nice. I I broke the Dutch the first year I brought him to the U.S. to train with me. I broke the Dutch record twice in that year. That was in 2009, I believe. Qualified for the World Championships in Berlin um, with the international standard, and it was it was actually a solid year for me that year when I actually broke out and started improving and jumping sixteen sixties and these distances.
1: Yeah, you you jumped sixteen sixty-five in, in, in two
0: thousand nine. Yeah, I did that in Germany and I jumped yeah. against uh Charles Federick, which was a phenomenal jumper as well. And just being live and seeing him jump over seventy meters was a it was a big push for me as well. So that's when I really yeah. I broke the Dutch record first in, in, in um in Kansas, I believe. I went to a track mid there, I did sixteen forty two, something like that. And yeah, the, yeah. the Dutch record yeah. that time was sixteen fifteen. Yeah. I broke it then. And then uh, I broke it. I broke it three times in that track meet because I, I had three or four jumps over 1630, and then I, I ended the the competition with 1642. And then uh, I think one month later we went. We were invited to a competition in Germany, and then I jumped 1665, and I broke the Dutch record again. So that was a that was the, my breakthrough year. That's the year when I really um, made a name for myself in Holland.
1: So you you made international standard for for the World Championships with, with 1665. But did Holland had uh, another uh, qualification? Yeah, the the, the
0: the Dutch um, the, the Dutch federation has uh, their own mathematical calculations on on the world championships and the Olympics. So um, they don't really follow the international rule. They they do a calculation based on uh, what it takes to make the finals or what it is to to get a medal. So yeah, yeah. in yeah. spite of jumping the, the distance, I, I, you know they had to have a meeting and decide who is actually going to be on the team. And unfortunately, I, I didn't go to Berlin. I, I was really heartbroken about that because I had worked so hard that year, just you know, by myself trying to accomplish some of these goals. So I didn't go, and I was in in so much of a good shape. You know, that summer during the, the during the time of the World Championships, I still jumped um, over 1670, and I was just in really good shape. And I felt like you know, going to the Championships would would have opened up my eyes a lot more because, I, you know, growing up in the Caribbean Islands, you're always mentally prepared, and your coach to perform at the big meets and that's that's your goal it's like irrespective of what happens throughout the season when you go to the world championships or the grifter games or the whatever you have you have to perform and i felt like i was so prepared then but it didn't happen and i just you know i just moved on from that and at the end of the of the day i sat down with my coach and we just said that okay we're just going to push for 17 meters and just keep on working hard so yeah. I, I just moved on and i just um focus on the next year
1: then at, at the 2009 dutch uh, championships uh Happened something pretty unusual. <laughs> Tell us about yeah, that.
0: Yeah, so there was um, there was a lot of delays around the uh, there was a lot of constructions going on and, and a few things. So when I arrived at the um, uh, at, at the championships, um, first we check in and we we have to grab our our, our numbers. Um, so for my check-in time, I was roughly about a few minutes late, and I was given the wrong start number. So um, when I went on the warm-up field, my start start number has the the time that I supposed to check in and everything. So I was warming up and I was doing my drills. When I went into the check-in desk to get on the field, um, I wasn't allowed to get on get on to the to the to the to the warm-up track, but because um, I was presumed late, and I was late because the number that I received was the wrong number, and the, the envelope and everything that I received was actually incorrect. But um, what I did is and that's through experience, is every time I get to a stadium, I always measure my approach first before warming up, and I put a secret mark on my approach, and nobody knew I did that. So the guys, the Dutch guys that would jump in, they had already made the first attempt, and of, of course, they know if I showed up that I will always win because my distance, I was already jumping almost two meters more, more than the, the, okay. the best yeah. jumper. So they had already jumped, and then the media came in, the media office of the of the federation came in. He didn't see me, and he was wondering what was going on. Everybody was questioning what was going on, even the president of the federation, because they knew, knew that I was in the stadium. So he came down, and he asked me what was going on, and I said they wouldn't make me jump because uh, they said I'm late, but I have the wrong start number. He got me. He brought me onto the field. I put on my spikes, I did one jump, and I had already jumped 1630-something. On my second attempt, I jumped 1655, and that really made the guys really upset that they actually saw a possibility of winning. But because I actually made it that they couldn't win anymore, so they protested, and uh, they protested, and then they took my medal away. And then a few months later, there was a huge riot, media riot going on about, you know, uh, you know, not being ethical yeah. and good sportsmanship and et cetera, et cetera. So I was giving back my medal. I think it was uh, sometime in October of that year. And I told the guys, you know, I don't really care too much about the the medal. It's just the, the, the principle and the sportsmanship. If you see that something happened, the first thing you could do is basically talk to me. And if you knew that it wasn't my fault, then they wouldn't have Gone as far as they did, but they didn't do that. They just assumed that I should have played because I thought I was the champion, and it didn't really matter. But in actuality, there was a lot of things that happened in the background um, with, with the public transportation yeah. and also getting the wrong staff number. So I became very popular in, in the Netherlands, not even because of my distance, but because of this whole drama that happened <laughs> that year of 2000. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knew me as the disqualified triple jumper that got his medal back, you know? So uh, I made a lot of uh, media attention that way and, and headline news, so. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: opening experience for me in, in, in Holland. That was my uh, my welcome uh, nationals <laughs>
1: <laughs> What an opening Yeah <laughs> yeah Then in, in 2010 you you were very close to make it to, to the European Championships in, in Barcelona. Uh, was it hard to be for you to be so close one more time?
0: yeah over talking about overcoming obstacles it, it was difficult and, and you know there's so much um failures that you might have in the sport, but you know you if you're not prepared psychologically and mentally to to handle these type of failures, you might just just give up because it's tough but yeah in two thousand and two thousand and ten same thing happened. I made the international qualifying standard, and my federation said again no. Um, We have our own standard, and if you can't make it, you won't go. And I was really, uh, this one was really upsetting to me because I, I, you know, for two years in a row that that, that was happening to me, it was just, I just didn't understand it that I was the best triple jumper in the Netherlands or, or the best horizontal jumper when you look at both long and triple jump. And, um, I'm jumping further than everybody by over a meter, and then I still cannot be selected to go to these competitions. And with the European Championships, it was more heartbreaking for me because you, the federation, is allowed to to send an athlete if they want to,
1: yes, so yeah. they
0: can actually bypass the the qualification if they if they want to. And I felt like I had the international standard, and I was the best. I, I just didn't understand why they would press me so much and not making me get this experience and stuff. And, uh, I, yeah, again, I was heartbroken again. And uh, it was a difficult, very difficult year for me in 2010, I must say.
1: Yeah, yeah, because everyone knows that when you're in a championship, everything can happen actually yeah yeah,
0: yeah. And, and 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 you know coming into the to the netherlands i've proven myself that i can compete on an international level i mean crave the bronze medal multiple times ncw all american um yeah. winning the dutch championships and just you know even even that 2009 i got a bronze medal at the european team championships like i, I just yeah. know when i get there i don't know how i'll feel physically but mentally i i always put myself in a situation where i need to win and i have to win and that's my mentality you know but if somebody doesn't know you in that way, they'll just go off numbers and what they think is best. And for them, yeah. if you haven't jumped the distance that will that is, that is required for a medal, then you're just not in shape. And, and that's not really the way it works every time.
1: Yeah, and if we move on to 2012, you jumped 1675 twice uh, and broke the national indoor record. But none of them was ratified uh, how come that?
0: Well, with the Dutch system, it's, it's, uh, it's um you have to get a drug test within, I think, 24, 48 hours uh, within okay. the, 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 the the record yeah. and coming up to 2012, that was the first time I actually moved to Florida. Me and my Cuban coach, we moved down there and he was just always pounding in my head consistently like, Fabian, you need the warm weather, you need the warm weather. So we finally made the... Um, we finally made the decision to um to um to move to uh to Florida and then uh from there um we just worked really hard and then the first first competition I had indoors, I jumped 1675. I believe I believe at that time I was I was top third I was third in the world. Two weeks later I went to University of Arkansas at the Tyson invitation, I jumped it again, I was top five in the world and even after the indoor season was completed. I was still ranked um, um, top ten in the world, so that was a really good indoor season for me. Um, and then, and then I I I, um, I moved towards outdoors and and focus on the, on the European Championships at that time.
1: Yeah, because because you you actually put up uh, a post on Instagram about this just a week ago or something about the European Championships, uh, the outdoor Championships. Yeah. Um, it, and yeah. you, you were only eight centimeters short of the final.
0: Yeah. So as soon as I started jumping well indoors, I had, of course, a lot of uh, in- invitations to to big track meets, and the, the federation wanted to pay me to come up to uh, to do the um, the the Indo National Championship. So uh, we ended up doing a lot of things that were out of our normal training rhythm and schedule, and that kind of yeah. set set us off a little bit. And then um, I uh, I at the beginning of the outdoor season, I kind of um, strained my calf muscles. So we we got to wow. Europe and we started right into tr- getting into training. And I had an annoying calf injury that couldn't go away for 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 many many weeks. And I had to do a, a nuclear scan, which where you know they, they actually wanted to see if I had a stress fracture and stuff. And uh, I had some I had some tears in my in my calf muscle. And, and I never competed for the whole outdoor season because the pain was so painful. I couldn't push off my leg and i i you know i qualified for the europeans and i went there and that was the first competition i had outdoors um because yeah. i'd already qualified indoors and yeah. uh when i went there i had my first first jump because i knew that i wasn't as fit as i i normally am so I, I said i wanted my first jump to count and when i did my first jump it was right around 1670 1680 and it was a fall and i was like ah, i don't know if i could jump so many times that well and the second jump i had it was a fall and i only had one more attempt and I had to go a little bit conservative and I jumped something like 16.38 and then I think it took like 16.45 to make the finals. so yeah I was heartbroken not because I didn't make the finals but because of how close I got the first jump would have got me done got me in automatic and then the second one missing it for such a short distance and by one position knowing that I haven't jumped all year long was really painful you know
1: you use the, the that failure as motivation also for the future
0: yeah, I use that as motivation. I said to myself, okay, 2012. Um, I I had some highs and lows of that of that year. Um, you know, I was ranked high indoors. I I really finally jump, started jumping close towards 17, and I knew what it felt like to jump those distances. And on the ne- and then on the negative side, I missed the finals of the Europeans, and also I missed the, the qualifying for the Olympics. So I said, you know what? There was some positives and negatives. Let's just take. Um, I'm just gonna take the positives and just move on. And that was basically the year that um, uh, me and my Cuban coach actually stopped training together because I, I wanted to to move on to different things. And, and, and there was some positives and negatives about that as well. So I said, OK, let me just try to take everything that I've learned from the, uh, having a Cuban coach and what I've learned from the U.S. and try to put it together and just start working by myself, you know, because... I had situations where I did experiment training myself, and it worked out pretty good. Where I was consistent jumping high sixteens for many long time, and as soon as I went back to the coach, I started jumping poorly. So I think we both reached our kind of our limit, because he wasn't getting supported by the federation, and everything was on me, and it became kind of overwhelming at that point. So we decided to, to 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 split ways, and and decided to work by myself. So that was kind of like my motivation into 2013.
1: Yeah, and and what was the best thing? about being your own coach?
0: You're learning yourself. You know, when you yeah. sometimes when you have a coach with you 24-7, um, you don't get a chance to breathe where you actually know your own self. At the end of the day, the coach can guide you to your success, but they cannot make you successful. You have to make yourself successful and you have to use your coach to guide you to success. So there's a point of every athlete's career where their, their relationship with their coach becomes stagnant, meaning that they're not moving forward and that's because maybe the athlete is relying too much on the coach and he's not helping the coach because there's there's one point when the coach has given you everything that he knows all the technique all the coaching and stuff and this mentally is not coming together and that's when the athlete has to step up and communicate with the coach like hey i feel like this and this works really well for me i feel like that and when that communication is key that's when you become successful but if you if you have if you have a coach there all the time and you let him do everything you might never get to that extra extra edge because you're not basically helping so when you coach when you buy yourself at least for a period of time it gives you an opportunity to learn yourself learn what works best for you and also work on yourself mentally because you know it's it's a, it's a athletics track and field is, is a big mental game You have to know how to make yourself do the the, the events and and to perform at the best of your ability and to win the medal so that's the biggest plus about coaching yourself is that you learn yourself
1: so so you were self coached going into uh, 2013 then Um, and you went to the European indoor championships Uh, I was actually there saw you jump a new national record of 16.69 meters in in the qualification and then finish uh, the final as the eighth best jumper in in Europe. Um, tell us about your experience in in those two days in in Gothenburg.
0: Yeah, and actually uh, today t- t- today this is actually the Dutch record. And to go back to your question um, on the, um, you know me jumping sixteen seventy five twice indoors and and that yeah. not being the the Dutch record, I had to just go back because I think I got sidetracked a little bit. Um, yeah. With the Dutch rules, you have to get the the um, the the doping control within 48 hours. And in the US where I was jumping, it's not that easy to get it because most of the competitions are within the universities and the universities don't really have a doping control that's available at that moment. So, and having that, the fact that most of the competitions is on the weekend, that means if I jump on a Saturday, if I don't have an appointment Monday morning, I can't get the the record rectified because I can't do the test in time. So this was the first time that actually jumped that distance and then the Federation actually helped me by setting up everything and I did the doping control right away. And yeah. then I I um that that became my, my national record, sixteen seventy-three, I believe. But it was a great it was great. I was prepared for this competition. I wrote my program very well and I wrote it where I can I can try to pick at the European Championships and I like jumping at Gothenburg. One thing I like about jump, jumping there is that I like those surfaces, those um, elevated surfaces. I've jumped many times there in the U.S. I like the, I know how to respond to the to the to the track, so I was prepared mentally and I just said to myself, "This is my opportunity for me to qualify for the big championships and to go there and make myself and try to get a medal." So in the qualifications, I didn't waste no time. I just did very well and I just jumped and I jumped the 1675 and I was, I think I was fourth um, going into going into the finals. And in the finals, uh, I came back the next day. What had killed me a little bit at the European Championships was that the finals was the next day. So my legs were a little bit tired because I think yeah. I did three jumps. And um, I just I just didn't have the same fire. Like Mentally, I had the fire, but my body wasn't reacting the same way it did the day before. And uh, because of that, I, I ended up getting um, eighth. But I was still happy because um, I had achieve a, a new national record. And make the finals. Um, I, nobody have ever done that in 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 the history of the Netherlands. So I accomplished a lot, and also by myself. I trained by myself. I I did invest in myself, and I I got to that point. So that was a really good in, um, accomplishment for me. So I was really happy with my performance. Of course, I wanted a medal, but sometimes you need a little bit more support to get to to be that successful. You know.
1: Yeah. Um, and then at at the outdoor season, you you improve your national outdoor record to. 1667 um how did it feel to to be in, in in such a good shape
0: it was it was a really good feeling and, and and i think 2013 is is the year that i realized well the ending of 2012 season to 2013 is when i really mastered the program writing of the program that is when i kind of mastered what is called periodization And that is when Mm -hmm. you cycle your programs in a way that you can allow your body to get adequate rest so you can recover and that's when i really started writing the program in a way that when i wrote the program i really did get the results i would write a program and say okay if i complete this three-week cycle or this two-week cycle and i go to this competition as long as i do almost everything let's say 90 percent of what's on this paper I should jump 16.60 or higher, and I would go to the competition and I would really jump that distance. So I had maximum confidence in myself and my program, and it was a proven fact for me because every time I jumped, I jumped the distance that I thought I would jump, anyways, based on the program. So it was a very consistent. I was just jumping all. I had good rhythm. I, I had a lot of multiple bounding uh, explosiveness, and it was just good. I, I think I jumped a few times over 16.70, 16.80. Um, I did 16.85 as well with 2.1. Like, I was right around that 17-meter that mark, knocking on, on the door. So it was a successful season for me.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and you talked about that periodization and, and you writing your training program. Um, how did uh, a typical training week look like for you back then?
0: Um, roughly, let's say, on Mondays, I would do sprints and weights. So I would do... Um, um, Sort of well for triple jumpers, I would say long sprints. I would do maybe a step down of 200s, 150s, 120s, 100s, something like that. Then I'll hit hit the weight room. Um, you know, I'd, I'd focus on um, Olympic lifting. You know, cleans and yeah. you know squats and different exercises. And then yeah. from there, um, the next day, Tuesday, would be my my jumping day. That that's the day that I would go very aggressive on short approach jumps, uh, multiple jumps. You know, hop up, step, jump, step, 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 and then I end my training session with. Uh, with a triple jump, and I always try to maintain jumping close to 60 meters from, from short approach, so six to eight step approach, and I'd really push for it. I would put cones, because I'm still training by myself, I would videotape, and I'd also put cones above maybe 60, uh, 15, 80, I would say, and I would just try to hit those marks, and as long as I can hit those marks, then I know that I was in shape to jump high 16s uh, when the next competition comes, and then Wednesday, um, I would either take a day I would usually take a day off yeah. and then Thursday I would get back in, uh, into a lot of plyometrics Two, Thursdays was my plyometric day and then Friday would be sprints and weights, Saturday would be, would be a specialty day, so depending on what I observe from the week that I need to work on, when I look at my videos and I do video training, if I see that my step needs a little bit of improvement, then Saturday would just be a technical day for the steps, and then the week of the competition, I would switch my rest day from Wednesday to Thursday because Thursday is usually my travel day. So it goes in perfect alignment with my training. So I'll do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, rest on Thursday, Friday, just light training. And then Saturday I would do some jumping so that when I compete, I can go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, rest, Thursday, travel, Friday, do a shakeout and I compete on Saturday. So that was kind of like my training schedule. Um, uh, back then I trained Monday to Saturday and and uh, I just kind of also paid a lot of attention to my body. I did a lot of ice baths, a lot of massages. Thursdays and yeah. Wednesdays was my massage day. I would always get those in because I see that's part of training as well. Yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of like what my schedule was basically on, um, during 2013.
1: Then in 2014, you got into the Hall of Fame uh, at Lindenwood for your achievements for the school. Um, how did that feel?
0: Uh, that was great. I, uh, those things, I, I don't even think about it. You know, you just receive a call or an email like, hey, Fabian, you're you inducted into the Hall of Fame. Can you make it in October for the in, in, in induction? And it was yeah. a great feeling to know that, um, you know, people that have been attached to throughout the years of progressing in athletics, that they actually see my progression and they respect it in a way that they can honor me. And uh, when I got inducted into the Hall of Fame, it was a really a good feeling to know that, my university saw me as as an ambassador and as one of the best athletes that ever existed in the university. And at that, you know, I, I was inducted twice into Hall of Fame, one for being an individual individual champion and the second was being part of the team. So that was a, a pretty great accomplishment for me. I mean, some people maybe get inducted once, but to get inducted twice, maybe three times already at this age was just uh, uh, amazing for me.
1: Um if if we move on to 2016 then uh, you started out very good smashing your national record with a jump of 16.92 meters uh, in April uh, which was also further than the entry standard to the Olympic Games in Rio uh, describe your feelings after that day
0: qualifying for the Olympics was just the greatest in all my life I always said to myself you know having the Olympic stamp is just the most amazing thing that you could, is the highest level of sports that you could have. And I felt like, you know, if I could accomplish this, this was just one of the biggest accomplishments I could ever have in my life because I'm also a PhD student. And I said to myself, well, with degrees, you could just work hard and eventually get your degree. Okay, you know, it's it's very attainable. But what really pushed me with um, the Olympic thing is that you could train very hard every day there's no special formula in qualifying for the olympics there's no automatic qualification as well it's just kind of like if, if it happens it happens if it doesn't it doesn't it just there's no guarantee and that's what made me feel like okay if i accomplish this it's just great and once i hit the limit and i qualified it was just the greatest feeling ever i just said to myself yes i finally have this long because I, I haven't had my eyes on the olympics since 2012 since yeah. prior to twenty twelve, I, I that's part of me paying the Cuban coach. I said, Okay, if I'm with this coach, I'm gonna go for seventy meters. I wanna qualify for the Olympics, I wanna you know, I wanna be an Olympic athlete. That's the ultimate goal. If I give up working in the banking industry and, and everything, then I want to make sure I achieve the highest level of achievement within the sport, and that's the Olympics. So when I actually qualified, the, the dream became a reality. And then it hit me that You know, you can overcome obstacles if you plan properly. That's why in the US they say if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. I planned very well. And the fact that just coaching myself and actually achieving this goal, like it was just, it was overwhelming. I I didn't know if I should cry, if I should laugh. I I was so confused emotionally. I was just super excited that I actually did it and that I could actually see the dream of actually competing at the Olympics, you know?
1: Yeah. And, And on your road to Rio... Uh, you took 10th place at at the European Championships in front of your home crowd in Amsterdam. Uh, how did that feel?
0: It felt uh, it, it was kind of like a bittersweet situation for me because leading up to the European Championships, I was injured. I had a hamstring. I had a hamstring injury. I think I got injured something like 10 days before the European Championships, and I said, oh. ah, no, I don't, I don't want that to happen to me because this is uh, European Championships at my home. It's very important that I. That I, um, that I actually perform well, you know? So, um, but because of that, I had to change my mentality in focusing on basically making the finals versus just going for a medal because I wasn't in that much of a shape that I was when I jumped the 1692. Um, I missed a lot of training. I had to do a lot of rehab and stuff. So again, I just had to focus on executing my first jump so when i actually made the finals i made the finals on my last jump and i was the last person to get in that was like overwhelming the crowd was really supportive it was a great accomplishment for me to go there and make the finals and then the next um next two days when i had the finals i was still a little bit unfit, so i couldn't really perform as good as i wanted to but i was still happy to not disappoint and actually make the finals because that was the biggest accomplishment for me at that point because i knew i was going to go to the olympics anyways and that the European um, Championships was just a stepping stone for the Olympics. So as long as I don't injure myself to a point where I don't have to go to Olympics, I was kind of happy. So I just went there, gave it everything on the qualifications. I made the finals and I focused on the finals and that was the results. But, you know, I was still happy with it and the crowd was happy. I had a lot of support. My mom was there and it was a great, great accomplishment, great feeling just being able to compete at my home crowd and stuff. And then
1: one month later, you arrived to, to Rio for your first Olympics, how was it to, to become an Olympian?
0: Uh, it, was, um, it, was, it was really good. I mean, when I got there, um, just it, like we say, the awe, just the, the amazing feeling of being there was, was just great. But in a very strange way, um, when I actually got into the Olympics and I started training and I started focusing on, the, on, on, on competing, all that excitement went away because I noticed that it's all about performing. Because I I I always tell people there's three types of people that go to the Olympics. They, they, you know, there's ones that that are Olympic champions that want to win a medal. When they win a medal, they want to win a go- uh, you know break the Olympic record. There's people. There's a second group of people that want to make the finals and they want to do great and they want to possibly see if they can win a medal and there's these people that just want to go to the Olympics just because they just want to have that step and say, that, I'm Olympic, they're not focused on competing, they're not focused on getting the medal, they're just there for the moment. I was basically in in, in the second group, I really wanted to make the finals, I really wanted to see as far as I, I could, could go and when I got to the Olympics, I actually just treated it like a normal track meet because I had a lot of support from from christian taylor as you know we trained together and being among the best of the best of the world it made me realize like these guys are so humble and calm at this stage that they just really focus solely on competing and we just went into the normal rhythm of training and everything was just like having practice and it was just, it was an amazing feeling, but it was a surprising feeling to know that I wasn't as excited as I thought I would be. So there was no nervousness, basically. It was just like a normal training schedule, a normal competition.
1: Yeah, and and I believe that's how you, that's how you have to, to treat an Olympics. Because if you, if you get nervous, it's some, maybe not the... Uh, you, you may not jump. Yeah, definitely. I mean,
0: the, you know, Christian Taylor always told me, like, you know, you have to see it as another practice. You have to yeah. basically execute. You have to stay focused and stuff. And I believe that if you go to the, a big, Games like the Olympics or the World Championships, and you get caught up in the emotional aspect of it and the crowd and everything that you were just going to lose focus and therefore you could never perform to the best of your ability. So the best way to do it is is to the best way to perform to your best of your ability is to remain calm and just see it as another competition that you have to focus on and you have to execute. Because at the end of the day, the Olympics is mainly about the opening and the closing ceremony. That's what the real hype is about. In between that. You have to perform. If you don't perform, you're not really doing anything there. It's a competition, you know. It's like going to work. So, yeah, that was a big eye-opening experience for me, of of course. But the, the closing ceremony is what really was the main excitement for me. But actually competing there, it was just like trying to get the job done and just like a normal day at the office. Just just trying to work hard and, and and making the finals and stuff.
1: And well, in the competition, uh, you jumped sixteen fifty one. Uh, in the first round and then you got two no-jumps and and missed the final by only 10 centimetres. Were you still happy or was it tough for you to to miss the final by such a short distance?
0: It was tough, it was tough because, you know, going into the the competition, I I told um, Christian Taylor that I didn't want him to go to the finals without me. In other words, we train together, we're going to be in the finals together, so that was my main focus. And I was in great shape. We had some really wonderful jumping sessions, um, you know, jumping 60 meters from short approach. Like I was in really good shape to do what I had to do. But something biz- bizarre happened at the games itself. And sometimes you just kind of prepare for certain things. But when I got there, um, you know, my my name wasn't on the board at that time. I did my first jump. It was a little bit more conser- conservative. I did 1651. The second jump um i followed by a little bit and then i spoke to my coach arena and he said to make the necessary adjustments but we were trying to look on the board and the replay to see what the you know how much i fouled by and the actual jump but we couldn't see that information and then they didn't show the replay and we had a lot of miscommunication with within the organization of the people that were organizing the competition is my name wasn't on the board we couldn't see the board we didn't know how much i went over by so we had to make an educated guess to go back let's say by two feet for example and that was it i had one more jump and it's either i go conservative and don't make the finals anyways or i have to go aggressive and give it everything that i had and i went aggressive and i fall again and you know when i got out of the pit i saw that it was maybe right around 1670 ish so i would have probably got into the finals. so i was happy with the fact that first that i was able to perform there's a lot of people that qualify for the Olympics or the World Championships and when they get there, they don't perform. Yeah. So the fact that I was able to perform, I jumped over 1650, I felt like, okay, I proved to myself that on the high stage that I actually can perform and I can handle the pressure. And that was the most positive things, thing about it. On the negative side, of course, I didn't make the finals and only by 10 centimeters, I could have been in the finals. So those are things that you just, you know, you it happens. You can't do anything. I was really prepared well, but at that moment with the the way the competition was managed and everything and plus it was nine o'clock in the morning i believe so you know i did what i could but at that point it wasn't enough but i'm still satisfied with the fact that i did that because don't forget leading up to the olympics i still did it by myself you know i I still so that alone i know i can ask many people have you gone to the olympics training by yourself and they will tell me no so you know people thought i was crazy who's coaching you right now I coach myself and you're trying to go to the Olympics yes they thought <laughs> yeah. I was crazy <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I did it you know and I was able to perform and I almost made the final so I think I did pretty well on my own
1: and then after Rio you you have made uh, some competitions in, in 2017 and 2019 uh, will we see you on the runway in, in 2019 or are your track and field career over
0: Um. 2019 is going to be a make it or break it year for me because um, I've, I've gotten back into banking. I'm an international program manager. I'm balancing that a little bit. I have a family, so I've changed, I've restructured my my training philosophy and my program to be able to have a little bit more rest because as right now I'm, I'm more experienced and I don't need to train. The training schedule that I had in 2013, I don't need to do it right now. I need to do it in a different way where I'm smart and that I stay. And the focus of my training right now is focused on being more fresh at competitions versus just training very hard so it's a different type of training schedule and a different lifestyle that that i'm in right now so my focus is to jump very well next year try to get into the european indoor championships and also the world championships you know the good thing about it is the world championships is fairly late next year, as you know. Yeah, yeah. um, yeah. so there's a lot of time, so that's good. So I can really program myself very well. So, yeah, I want uh, next year's a make it or break it. either I basically jump very well and I can go to the Olympics in 2020, or I decide that it's time to retire because it's all about how my body reacts to the trading and stuff. If I feel that I can't recover as quickly as before or my body is just breaking down. Then there's no need to really push further because I think I'm one of the most luckiest triple jumpers on the planet because I've never had surgery, knock on wood. So I don't want to uh, end my career having uh, multiple operations because I I just wanted to push my body too much. So you guys will see me next year. I'm not going to do as much track meets as before, but I will make sure that if I do competitions that it's going to be quality and that the focus is um, indoors, if everything goes well, the European champs, or outdoors, of course, world championships. But in between that, I still have goals to, um, to win nationals again, and it's going to be at my track club this year. So it's very big for me. Um, yeah. All my fans will be there, at my club. So um, those are kind of like my goals next year, you know, just to um, use next year as a make-it-or-break-it year for me.
1: And we have some questions from our, our Instagram followers also. Um, Colin Stauffer, he wonders which is your favorite drill?
0: My favorite drill? Um, I would say my favorite drill is hop-hop-step-jump. And the reason why hop-hop-step-jump was the first isolated triple jump drill that I, that I did uh, when I went to Missouri State, when I went to the NCAA Division One, that really showed me some results. So when I got introduced to that jump um, by my coach, who was Bohemian, by the way, he called it the they call it the Bohemian drill, but it's actually an international drill, of course. But uh, we did it we did that drill a lot. And when I really learned to master cycling the hop for the second time, and, and really enjoy the drill, I just fell in love with, it, with the drill. So it's a standard drill that I do. Um, leading up to competitions so or just throughout the year there's maximum speed six seven eight step approach and there's hop up step jump I, I love this is my favorite drill I love that drill
1: and then i he wants to know uh, about your best moment like a human and your best moment like a sportsman
0: I would <laughs> say my best moment as a human it would be uh, uh, being a father I have a beautiful baby boy that is healthy, and I, uh, that's all I prayed for is a, is a healthy um, son. Or and then I have that. Also, with uh, graduating with my uh, my master's degree, I would say those two in combination would be my 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 greatest feeling as a as a human. And um, uh, my greatest um, accomplishment or feeling as a, as a sports person, I would say, you know, the the Olympics. You know, yeah. being able to get onto the highest stage of the world and. And, and actually um, being able to compete on that high level was, I would say, my, my biggest accomplishment as a sportsman.
1: Yeah. And then um, Hope Stepper, he, he wants to know how it was to train with uh, Rana Radar. Uh,
0: it was it was great. You know, I, I always try to live my life with no regrets in, in a way that at the end of the day, when I'm retired, you know, from the sport, I can say, you know what, I've given it the best and, and all that I have. And, you know, I've competed with the best of the best. It was such an honor for me to train with Christian Taylor. I mean, I, I see him in my eyes as the world record holder. I mean, the guy is so talented. And, and training with Rainer, I, I saw Rainer as, and I still see Rainer as one of the most, if not the most technologically advanced coach and most advanced coach in the world. Like, he, he's so good with um, science and everything. And, and for me, um, you know, being able to train with him was just a nice thing on the cake because I met him already in 2009 and we spoke a little bit and we just couldn't finalize something to work together because you know at the end of the day, uh, end of the day, money talks and uh, I had to work something out with my federation. So being able to train with him, I learned a lot from him um, and I learned a lot from Christian as well. And it was for sure a great investment for me to have trained with uh, Reina and I've learned a lot from him. So uh, so far, hands down. He's, uh, he's yeah. the best coach I've had so far, so I'm happy with it, my experience.
1: Yeah. When when did you start training with uh, Radar?
0: I started with Radar leading up to the Olympics fully. So, okay. um, yeah, so in 2016, uh, indoors, I would do a few days in the week at the Olympic Center. And then, you know, I moved down to Florida to, to continue training. And then after I qualified, that's when we actually made it official with the Federation.
1: Yeah, and what about the future? Uh, what will you do after your career?
0: Well, unlike, unlike a, most, a lot of athletes, um, I prepared for the failure of athletics before I entered the sport. So I knew from a young age, when I was right around 17, I realized that, okay, if you do sports, you cannot do it for all your life because your athletic ability is limited. So that's why I balance banking, and I balance sports or athletics throughout my career um, so that if I ever failed or when I retire, I could transition right into the into the corporate environment without having to struggle. So when I'm fully retired from athletics, I will just continue doing the banking that I'm doing as an international banker. So that's yeah. what I'll do. And maybe I could be a consultant for um, for athletics or for other sports strength and conditioning. I'm not really into coaching, but if I get the opportunity and people require my expertise because I'm an Olympic athlete. I could transfer the knowledge and and then and, and work that way, but that's gonna be my, my, my future when I'm done. I'll be an international continue being an international banker and also a sports consultant.
1: Sure. And uh who do you want to see as a guest in, in the Triple Jumpers podcast? Uh, an athlete or, or a coach? Um
0: I I would like to see an athlete. I mean it's always good to hear um Know, the, the stories of athletes and and what they go through um, so that you can have a proper um, perspective of, of what the life is of a top triple jumper to see what the struggles and the reality is of the sports you know it takes a lot yeah. of time and, and dedication and coaches can actually tell you that what they go through coaching the, the athletes but for most of your guests I assume that they're athletes as well so they want to really know what what the athletes go through so that they can relate a little bit more so I would say I would like to see an athlete as yeah. the next guest on the, on the triple jumpers, I think that would be sure. most beneficial to the audience.
1: Sure. And and who do you want to see? Oh
0: uh, man, I, I think I, I think I'll have to call out Christian Taylor.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, is, it, is it, But maybe you might have to leave him for, for last because he's the best. So um um, you know, you can you can always reach out to um to other athletes. There's so many great athletes in, in in the world. You know, you have um uh, Troy Doris, who's my good friend. You have yeah, Omokratic, um, Omokratic. Um, you know, you have a lot of other guys there. I, I think that it'd be nice to, to get a nice international um, um, blend of, of of guys, and everybody's different, different height, different weight, different, you know, philosophy and training. So it's good to show the dynamics of. Um, You know, different training structures, Eastern European versus Central European versus America versus Cuban. And hopefully, maybe you can get a Cuban that can speak English. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That would be great. Otherwise, I'll have to represent them for you because I had had a a Cuban coach. So maybe I can give you a little bit of information on that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Okay. That's all. Uh, thank you so much, Fabian, for for taking part in the podcast. It was so interesting and, and inspiring to to hear your story. Thank you.
0: No problem. Thanks, Marcus, and I, I, thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, to be the first with this uh, type of interview. And I hope that you continue to inspire triple jumpers and be the number one platform for triple jumpers out there. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for listening. Hope you liked the story of Fabian Florent as much as I did. I've learned so much from this episode and I think it was very, very interesting. If you want to know more about Fabian, make sure to follow him on Instagram or Twitter. His name is there. And if you want to suggest a guest or if you have any special questions, send an email to triplejumpers18 at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram. We're soon back with another episode until then have a good time bye
0: tremendous speed again is, oh my goodness that is huge it's a white flag for the cuban <laughs>